1: I'd I'd done one thing for 20 years and I'd been told, you know, where to be, when to be, what to wear for 20 years. And now all of a sudden I've got the freedom and I I joke, you know, now I got to grow up.
2: Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. You know, transitions are hard. Big moves, career changes, the endings of relationships. They all require us to let go of something that we've known well and step into an entirely new environment new rules and new challenges. We try to cling to the old ways, but the old ways don't work here. And we haven't yet mastered the new ways. So there's this period, like a scary period of time, like a a kind of a void, a no man's land where you are no longer in the old state of being, and yet not entirely in the new. You feel weightless and unsure, and you don't know what to do. Every year, about 200,000 military personnel face this void. Whether they've served a single term or they've made the military their entire career, they now have to move into an entirely new world and figure out how to operate. And military life is far different from civilian life. In the military, you're provided with food, clothing, shelter, structure, jobs, healthcare, even a sense of duty and purpose. In civilian life, let's just say those are things you need to find and keep for yourself and sometimes over significant odds. This can make the transition difficult for a lot of veterans, and especially those who have experienced combat-related injuries or emotional or psychological trauma. Well, that's where today's listener comes in.
1: Hi, my name is Dan, and I'm calling in reference to uh, veterans retiring from the military. So I'm a, a journalist that retired after 20 years in the Army and... Uh, I'm kind of trying to figure out my way in the world at this point and grow up and have an adult job for the first time in my life. And so I'm kind of trying to navigate that right now between uh, coming back from substance abuse issues and PTSD. And so it's a whole new thing. If you guys want to talk about it, that'd be great. Uh,
2: You'll take care. We definitely wanted to talk about it. And Dan had a lot to share.
1: 20 years in the Army as a uh, public relations expert and then uh, retired three months ago.
2: So when did you enlist? It sounds like you enlisted around the time of Afghanistan and Iraq. Was that part of your decision? What, what drove you to enlist? So
1: I shipped out in August of 2003. Uh-huh. Iraq had just kicked off in April. Afghanistan mm-hmm. had obviously kicked off October of 2001. But uh, funny enough, I had actually walked out in protest of the Iraq war mm. in college. I saw a lot of underappreciated, lower-income folks that were the only people going to fight. Mm-hmm. My father had gone to Vietnam three times uh, back in the 70s because that's just what he thought was his duty. I grew up in an extremely liberal Southern California college town, very comfortable, played a lot of sports, went to college, and all that kind of stuff. So I thought me as a, as a safe middle-class white kid didn't have any excuse to sit this one out.
2: But there was another reason the military made sense to 23 year old Dan. He realized his life was not really going anywhere, a feeling that was exemplified by one particular experience he had with his father.
1: I was out with my best friend, got my car towed because I left it near the bar, came out, it was gone. My dad had to drop me off to get it out of Hawk the next day. I'm 23 years old, i uh, been in college for five years. I was like, I need to grow up. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I went home, took the little online test. It said I like to be outside and I like to read. So it said I could either be a cavalry scout or I could be a journalist. And I said, oh, journalism sounds fun. I like to write. (laughs) I like to be outside and do those things. And just going to do it for a couple of years to grow up. And then here we are 20 something years later.
2: And so what is tell us a little bit about for those of us that aren't enlisted or, or haven't been enlisted. Tell us a little bit about what public relations looks like in the Army.
1: One of the reasons I was drawn to public relations was because it allowed me to have still some form of creativity. I I got to be a photographer as well and write. Mm -hmm. So I I got to kind of still have that freedom outside of the military constraints. I could write on my own. I could, you know, be kind of artistic in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And public relations was, you know, you deal with everybody – from local city governments and we dealt with all kinds of stuff in the community just so they got to know the soldiers and soldiers got to know them and you know, we're, we're obviously very loud uh, but it's, <laughs> it's dealing with, with all kinds of,
2: of people and I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. I love that. Sounds like you really enjoyed the work.
1: I did. It was, it was absolutely worthwhile.
2: Dan's job in public relations didn't just limit him to local communities. For a time, he worked as a combat correspondent and that had an impact on him.
1: So in 2005, I was deployed to Iraq, and I was, again, as a journalist, and we lost a couple soldiers uh, Mm. to a vehicle-borne bomb, and it was my first time covering it, and so I go down to the memorial ceremony at one of our other bases, and I take pictures, and and I'm writing the stuff down, and just being in the moment and experiencing it, and just started bawling my eyes out. I didn't know either of these guys. One of the the senior leaders pulled me aside and said, you must have really known these guys. I said, I didn't, through tears, I didn't know Mm. them. And at that point, I realized I couldn't maintain this for the entire year because this was the first month of a 12-month deployment. Mm. And so I just shut down. And um, some stuff happened just in my ex-wife's life, in my life, and, and I was not a great person either and got divorced and just kind of fell into medicating and the mm-hmm. way that a lot of military people will tell you that that we um, – I don't know what the right term is, but the, the it, I won't say that it's promoted – but it's okay if you drink a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I drank a lot. So obviously not great, but you know, I was very good at my job and got promoted and was mm-hmm. doing well there and was physically fit. And then COVID happened and everything was taken away from me. So that was, that was church, that was my kids, that was the gym, that was punk concerts. So all this healthy stuff. And so I turned to the bottle and mm-hmm. uh, it got to the point where I was basically trying to kill myself. I was up to probably maybe a handle of vodka a day, um, starting first thing in the morning. Otherwise, I'd throw up, hands shaky, just feeling like I was gonna die, and I was okay with that to an extent, just because I was, you know, kind of feeling adrift.
2: Dan's struggles with alcohol and mental health got worse, and eventually, the consequences became unavoidable.
1: I made it through, luckily, because I had 18 years of spotless service and a terrible two years. So I had, I had a girlfriend, um, we're not together anymore, but she was up here visiting me and she was like, I didn't know you were drinking this much, uh, you need to quit. And I said, oh no, I, you know, I just need to tape her down. She said, no. And said, I'll stay with you, I've already called work and uh, if anything happens, I'll take you to the ER. And so I had no excuses. And you know, we'll go back to the military stuff, people tell you, you're going to do this, tough luck. We're used to saying, okay, fine, I'm going to do it.
2: Right.
1: And so she sat with me and I cleaned up and so we're at like four months now sober.
2: Congratulations.
1: Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I appreciate all
2: that. Now, recently discharged, newly sober, Dan is a civilian. And he's taking it one day at a time. And he's trying to navigate stuff that the Army used to navigate for him.
1: Like, one of the things that is really overwhelming is, you know, re- I'll, I'll, I'll use real-world a lot, but real-world medical stuff, right? And I never had to deal with it, right? Like, mm-hmm, you go to right. sit-call at, at 6 o'clock right. in the morning, everything's free. You know, you've got everything like that, right? Now, all of a sudden, I'm navigating like copays and what what do I need for this? And, and right. you know, I got to pay for meds. This is insane. Like one of the places right here doesn't take my insurance. And I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this stuff. I, I worked at Lowe's for a little bit just to kind of find something. I was still getting paid as active duty. So I was just trying to find something to do. Um, I'm disabled through the, the, through the VA, through, you know, a, a bunch of uh, stuff through the military. We can get into that later. But yeah, so I found something for a while and then found a national grocery chain that kind of vibes with me. And uh, so I'm working there currently and absolutely love it. And I work there basically part time, just kind of figuring out what I want to do, just kind of floating through.
2: Which brings us back to the big question at the core of that voicemail Dan left us. How do you figure out what to do with your life once the Army gives it back to you?
1: So I've got severe ADHD. So I, my, my long-term planning is absolute garbage. So each day now, is I say, okay, what do I have today? I got, you know, work. I got these appointments. I can knock those out, you know. At the end of the day, right, you, I kind of take inventory of my day. What were the good things? What were the bad things? And regardless of the days, I have that where I can say, you know what I didn't do today is I didn't drink. So that long-term stuff is, is frightening, right?
2: It is frightening. But we don't have to do it alone. That's why today we're turning to a man who has spent years thinking about this exact issue, how to navigate the transition from military life to civilian life.
3: Yeah, hi, my name is Bob Beard. I'm a uh, senior program manager at ASU Center for Science and the Imagination, and I'm the principal investigator on the Veterans Imagination Project.
2: You're a former Marine, you know, you've had your own experience with transition. What is your first reaction to hearing Dan's experience?
3: I, I, I mean, you know, a, a colleague of mine says, if you've met one veteran, well, that's it, you've met one veteran. But I'm completely struck by like, you know, how similar, you know, stories of of service and post service are, right? Like, thank you so much for for sharing that story because I think more people need to to hear this.
2: The Veteran Experience is at the center of the program Bob runs at ASU. The Veterans Imagination Project encourages vets to think about the future five, 10, 20 years from now, and imagine how they'll fit into it. And they do it using techniques that few of those vets have ever encountered in their military service. We'll hear more about it in just a moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into questions like can we learn to make smarter decisions? Or what is the power of negative thinking? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, athletes, Nobel laureates, and more about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones. Choiceology is out now. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or find it wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. We're back with our listener,
2: Dan, who is reentering civilian life after 20 years of service in the Army. We're also talking with Bob Beard about the program he runs at Arizona State University.
3: So the Veterans Imagination Project is, is based on sort of the principles of futures thinking. And futures thinking is a, is a discipline sometimes called foresight or strategic planning or business intelligence that helps uh, people create plausible and actionable visions of the future, Uh, you know, uses research and and trend spotting and storytelling to to tell these stories. Fortune 500 companies and nonprofits and government agencies will employ futurists to uh, help explore these trends and imagine possibilities. And so in the past few years, we've seen these methods start to emerge for personal transformation you know we've talked a lot about how that there is a story that the military assigns to us as a member of the military and so now you know, getting out of the military, I think it's incumbent on us to to understand sort of, you know, what I tell my students, you know, who's the you behind the uniform? Right. Uh, we spend nine weeks with our veteran participants and they learn how to research a, a desired career field and sort of get to examine the influences and the impacts that define that field. We do that through foresight activities and pen and paper games and scenario planning and some speculative storytelling.
2: So What does all this mean? Okay, effectively, Bob is saying that make a corporation to do all this work, use all these resources, take all of this time to imagine and plan for and position themselves for the future. And a bunch of tools have been developed to do that work. So why not give those tools to individuals who are trying to navigate an uncertain future? Why should corporations get all the future planning? One of those tools is speculative storytelling, which literally means, in part, having his students write science fiction. Yeah, because if you're going to plan for a future, you kind of have to imagine it first. And that takes time and focus. So that's our first insight. If you want to figure out what you're going to do in the future, then it makes sense to take some time and literally imagine the future itself. And writing is a great way to do that. But... It's not the only way.
3: Our students will interview mentors in their chosen career field, Mm. and then they'll work together to identify trends and potential opportunities in those industries. And so they'll work not only with these mentors, but also the instructors and each other. They begin to start creating narratives about their future careers Mm. and not just, you know, like, like. I assume this is going to happen, but what if this happens? And then after working for a handful of weeks to sort of create these future-oriented scenarios, our participants meet with uh, with a concept artist, you know, a person who works in movies and video games and books and comics, and together they help bring those future visions to life. Wow. And so you will see this very high-res concept art of the veteran in their future workspace. And what this does is they can see this possible future and then they can start identifying some steps that they can take right now mm-hmm. to get to that. Possible future, and then I think the the other thing that's really important about having this this really dynamic piece of visual art is that it's not just about this future vision that they you know fold and put in their wallet and look at every once in a while. We actually put these future visions on display, mm. so we publish these uh, online mm-hmm. and do in person exhibitions, and then we invite members of the public to come and view these visions and hear from the veterans themselves. Because, you know, that's that's a huge part of veteran transition, right? It's not just understanding them as the stories that Hollywood tells us, yeah. right? You know, everybody's seen The Hurt Locker, yeah, right? And it's, <laughs> like, right. it's like so many people are like, oh, okay, well, I, I get it, mm-hmm. I get it. And it, the reality is, no, you don't. So understanding the whole person is, I think, also essential to yeah. a veteran's transition.
2: One student who went through the Veterans Imagination Project is named Curtis.
3: Curtis was interested in gardening, and he had already started and created a a food jungle uh, and got a small grant to do that. So he already knew the things that he needed to do to sort of cope with his transition. And it was about, you know, caring for plants and getting up every day and being accountable to this garden that he had created. And then working through uh, the Veterans Imagination Project, he found... A what if opportunity in all of these social and technological and environmental and economic topics colliding, he found an opportunity to use vacant skyscrapers as a potential like vertical greenhouse. So in the future, when remote work is is perhaps the way to be from now on, how can we use these? Buildings standing vacant and turn them into gardens to feed our community. And so he really worked through the scenario. He talked to vertical gardening experts at ASU and created this vision of himself managing and maintaining vertical gardens. What was so fascinating about that is we did the in-person exhibition and we showed the art and we talked about the Veterans Imagination Project. And after Curtis showed his vision and started telling his story, about this possible future, the story quickly shifted. And it was no longer about, well, what's Bob doing with the Veterans Imagination Project? Mm. It was, Curtis, how do we make this happen? And what was fascinating is that, you know, there are members of the local chamber of commerce there, people that can actually make this vision come to pass. And uh, those stories don't come out a lot of the time.
2: Okay, so if you were listening closely, you may have just heard our second and third insights. After taking some time to imagine the future, it's almost natural that you will start to imagine where you fit into it. Imagining quietly by yourself is nice, but it's not enough. It doesn't make it real enough. It maybe doesn't hold you accountable enough. So what Bob is talking about is two things. Number one, drawing that vision out on paper, for real. like. Making it real, whether that's through collage or your oil paints or your raggedy little stick figures, you need to put that vision on the page and treat it as a real thing outside of just you. And the second thing Bob is saying is that corporations know you have to share that vision with your community. Not only does it make it real, but it also helps connect you with people who might be able to help. It's kind of like the saying goes, a vision is just a vision, but a shared vision is a force. And that force is desperately needed right now.
1: So I've got a question for Bob. First of all, I want to know how I sign up for this or how another person (laughs) would like to sign up for this because obviously, I mean, that's part of it. But this is absolutely fascinating that you're doing all that stuff. Um, It sounds so fun. So I wish I had had this kind of uh, at least as a choice, right, Um, at at my level um, coming out.
2: Yeah, I'm with Dan. I mean, let's all go to the Veterans Imagination Project. But for now, it's a small university-based program that's still in the research and piloting stage. Meanwhile, the U.S. government runs an entire system designed to help hundreds of thousands of military veterans transition to civilian life each year. Dan just went through it.
1: It's called Transition Assistance Program, right? So there's a federally mandated program that every service member supposedly has to go through before they separate, whether it's retirement or separation. So everybody has to do this. But it's just like everything else that the U.S. military does, right? It's... It's taught to the lowest level and it's taught to as many people as possible at the same time. So they don't they're just like, cool, we need to check the boxes we call it and get out of here. And so Bob's doing this great thing, right, where you're you're picking those people who want to be there, right? Because a lot of times it's just, okay, fine, I have to go to these. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We call it in the military voluntold. Like, <laughs> oh, you have to go to this. You're like, oh, you don't have to, but <laughs> wink wink, it'd be really good if you did. And so you feel it's not, it's not you know, designed for you as a service member based on whatever it is, right? Because we're all, like Bob's saying, we're all so different at that point, right? We're, we're the same at, at one point, but then when we're starting to transition, I want to go into education. Somebody else might want to be a truck driver. Somebody else might want to just sit on their butt, Yeah, right? That's okay, too.
2: Bob Beard went through that same program more than two decades ago.
3: I was in the Marines from 1995 to 1999. I'm a pre-9-11 veteran. I am not a combat veteran. And I worked in ordnance. So I I stacked bombs on ships, and uh, it was basically playing like high-explosive Tetris. (laughs) You know, I got out of the military in 1999, and going through the transition assistance program, I was told— you know what my options were and my options for someone who worked with explosives were to become a police officer or a security guard <laughs> and uh and 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 what i find really interesting is that you know i i essentially had 4 years in supply chain management and right. i was a person who uh was very interested in technology and obviously very interested in the future and and i think about that all the time of You know, why didn't somebody tell me to go check out, like, that online bookstore up the road?
2: Okay, so for those of you who don't remember the dot-com boom of the 1990s, when Bob says that online bookstore up the road, he's talking about a little website that probably could have used some supply chain management when they were starting out. Of course, we're talking about Amazon. My life could have been much, much
3: different. And so really my purpose now is to sort of get in there as early as possible and let people know that there are other options and things that they can explore post-military.
2: Well, I'm curious, that's I mean, really fascinating. And as someone who used to, you know, I had a job once years ago where I helped kids that were coming out of foster care figure out what to do with their lives. So it was a similar situation. I was gonna say, that's I mean, very similar. Right? <laughs> so you had kids that were in and out of group homes, experienced all kinds of abuse and horrible things. Parents are gone, now they turn 18. The city is basically like, "We're our obligation to you is finished, good luck. And that was in the state of California. And it it like something like 50% of those kids experienced homelessness by the time they were 25. So the transition looked a little bit like what you described in terms of the transition and separation. It's like the city does the bare minimum, the county does the bare minimum, and that, that's where we come in. I hear a lot of value in what it takes to really sit down with someone and help them imagine the future. And I'm wondering, Bob, if you can tell us a little bit about why these two elements work, specifically seeing your vision like sketched up as as a real concept, and also sharing it with the community. Do you know much about kind of the psychology of why that works for people?
3: Uh, well, I mean, there's uh, the we're we're very early in our research on that, but uh, you know, a lot of this is linked to a concept called episodic futures thinking, and and the idea of using your sort of conception of your future self to manage goals and sort of delay gratification mm-hmm. and to think of yourself as a person who continues in the future. There's some really interesting research that interesting. that says that if you ask people across the board, regardless of sort of like, you know, their socioeconomic status or who they are or where they live or anything like that, if they've changed a lot in the past 10 years. So, you know, if I asked uh, either of you, like, you know, have you, have you changed a lot since 2013? You know, you're probably gonna say yes. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, no, totally different than than who I was ten years ago. But if you ask those same people, will you be different in ten years? Also, across the board, there's this fallacy where they're like, nope, like I'm mm. I'm fully baked. Wow. like I th- I am who I'm going to be, wow. and this is the way it's going to wow. to be. And that's just not true. So future self continuity, I I think says that even thinking of yourself 18 months from now, you're sort of looking at yourself as a stranger. And so having this sort of like scaffolded approach and having this sort of first-person narrative and then seeing yourself like third person, like seeing yourself in this possible future vision, you get to know your future self. So your future self is less of a stranger. So Mm. eventually you're going to become that person, so you might as well get to know that person now. Oh, I love that. And I'm overly simplifying this research, but in our pilot study, uh, which we've just wrapped up, our pilot study was about, you know, can the tools of futures thinking help military veterans in transition? And what we found through the research and a couple of the measures, you know, looking at future self-continuity and also looking at future's consciousness, you know, the capacity to sort of anticipate the future and and be prepared for the future. We saw that, yes, that these tools can help veterans in transition. And so, you know, the next phase of the work is, well, how and why and and how can we make these instruments even more precise? You know, how can we, uh, you know, rather than using sort of a blunt instrument, how can we you know, sort of use a scalpel and 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 really get in there and, uh, and help change people's lives for the better.
2: Coming up, we'll ask Dan to peer into the future and tell us what he sees. More in a minute.
3: Hi, I'm Adam Grant, host of the podcast Rethinking a show where I talk to some of today's greatest thinkers
0: about the unconventional ways they see the world. On Rethinking, you'll get surprising insights from scientists, leaders, artists, and more. People like Reese Witherspoon, Malcolm Gladwell, and Yo-Yo Ma. Hear lessons to help you find success at work, build better relationships, and more. Find Rethinking wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to make a change this year, check out How to Be a Better Human, a podcast from TED. I'm Chris Duffy. I'm a comedian, and each week on How to Be a Better Human, I sit down to have an honest and hopefully funny and revealing conversation with an expert who can help us to see the world in a new way. This season, we're diving into everything from how you can love better to how to create habits that stick, to how to have hope in a world and at a time where that feels really challenging. You can find all those topics and so many more on episodes of How to Be a Better Human, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back
2: with Bob Beard of the Veterans Imagination Project, which is a part of the Center for Science and the Imagination at ASU. And we're also talking with our listener, Dan, a 20-year Army veteran, about his experience transitioning to civilian life. Dan, do you feel like you have an image or a vision for what Dan might be doing or look like or how Dan might be in five years? And if so, would you be willing to kind of like sketch that out with us here on the show?
1: I can sketch it out as best I know at this point, right? So we were. we're, my dad also has severe ADHD, but he came, obviously grew up in the 50s when nobody knew what that was. And so he Mm -hmm. came up with his own coping mechanisms and he is extremely organized, even though Mm -hmm. he has chosen to have 14 different careers, not jobs, careers. I mean, I I can't imagine I'm gonna be like in 10 years, right? So that future planning, like I was just talking to my roommate today, how excited I was that I started a 401k at my job. Like that's why, I don't know how those things work right again. yeah. So for me right now, I, I still break up in the small stuff. So for now, all I'm doing is basically two years out, I'm going to enroll in another master's program here in community planning, going back into the kind of the service stuff, right? So it's dealing with nonprofits, kind of like what Bob was talking about with helping local communities, right? Getting that buy-in from, from governmental organizations, from non-governmental organizations, from city, local, state, whatever, all those different groups, right, is, is kind of what I'm going to go learn for and then mm-hmm. help in the same area, right? So, and, and I don't think it'll be just veterans. I, I think everybody obviously needs it. We've got a huge uh, underhousing crisis mm-hmm. in the United States overall, and obviously we have that up here in the Pacific Northwest, just like most places do. So, it's I, I just want to help, right? I just want to. That's my, my mom was a pastor, uh, lawyer, all these different things, and we always helped, right, in our entire lives. And that's one of the things that that with the imagination that Bob's talking about is I finally kind of have the freedom mentally to. To daydream, right, and, mm-hmm. and, and gratitude, right. That's another. I'm learning all these these mental health things. Is is being thankful for you know we can look back at the army, or whatever. And I can still say, well, no, my my kids had medical care their entire lives. They can go to mm-hmm. college wherever they want for free. I met some fantastic people. I got to do some great stuff. I'm still here. And so that two years that whatever we're talking, two years, five years. That plan is to help and to set that example of, of, of still trying, right? Like we're talking about like 10 years. I don't know where I'm going to be, but I know Mm -hmm. that I'm going to, you know, my, my core values, what I love, who I love, what I believe to be the the right way to go about the world, you know, kind of not causing harm to anybody and and trying to help when possible. And I keep it short to that, to just a couple of years. I I don't know how to plan that for out. I mean, honestly, to, to go back to your original question, I I don't have a plan that for out, but I know I'm, I'm going to be sober during it and that's all I need for now. And th- and that's the other thing, too, right, is just being okay with where you yeah. are.
2: I couldn't help noticing that Dan's answer was less about what kind of job he wanted and more about what kind of person he wanted to be, what values he wanted to serve. And according to Bob, that's important, because there's another thing about science fiction that matters to veterans making the transition. Most sci-fi stories are about people who adapt to do inspiring things— in strange new worlds. I
3: think about this a lot because this center and this project is sort of based around concepts of of science fiction. And so I ask people to think about some of their favorite or some of the most popular science fiction stories. You know, there's there's Star Wars and there's Back to the Future. And ultimately, these are stories about plucky people, right? Mm-hmm. And they're thrust into extraordinary circumstances, right? And through guidance and practice and resilience and I think most importantly their own unique way of looking at, at the world, mm-hmm. they do incredible things. Think about any science fiction movie, it's about sort of that unique individual perspective. We need to trust that we have that capacity. Mm. We need to approach things with curiosity. And we need to be okay exploring different ways of living and thinking and believing and behaving. Yeah, you know, the military tells us to show up 15 minutes early or you're late, and there's a there's a utility to that uh, in the military. That's absolutely necessary. And I'm not saying don't show up early, because, you know, like, why not? Mm-hmm. But you don't need to be sort of locked into just that way of thinking, right? I also think that, you know, science fiction is today's realism, right? Like even a year ago, we weren't thinking about generative AI. Mm -hmm. That was once just something that was only in our science fiction stories, and yet here we are. We're using the tools of science fiction to to make sense of something that we're experiencing for the first time together. So the stories that we're telling are science fictional stories. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, science fiction sometimes gets written off as as something that's trivial and, and maybe not serious. But I think in in navigating sort of that liminal space of being a veteran, you know, you're no longer this, but you're not quite mm-hmm. your, your yeah. final form yet. You know, I think there's some real transformation that can happen. You know, one of my one of my former students said he was in the Marines and he was uh, he was Special Forces in the Marines, and he said, um, you know, I'm I was really skeptical about this, you know. I didn't think that this was going to work. What I needed to realize is that there's an element of vulnerability mm. that I needed to sort of surrender to. And once I could open myself up to vulnerability, yeah. then it all sort of clicked into mm. place. And I mean, you know, wow. vulnerability and surrender is not antithetical <laughs> to <Yes>. the military <laughs> experience, right? So so I, I think, you know, I think understand why you got out of the military and understand that it's a broad possibility mm-hmm. space. And it's a space that we can... Play in right. It's a space that um, that there, there there's a lot of opportunities as long as we're courageous enough to sort of you know take that step into uncertainty.
2: That's another takeaway from Bob. Sometimes the biggest barrier to adjusting to a massive new set of circumstances is finding the license to imagine the possibilities and finding the courage to step into the unknown. Dan's already been doing both of those things for the past few months, so I wanted to ask him about his own advice to fellow veterans.
1: Um, as people are transitioning, do everything the government tells you to do on those, but also reach out. There, there are so many opportunities out there like bobs that are so specific and so helpful that aren't just here's your commercial truck driver's license here you can go be a, a cop or you know a, a sheriff or something and those are the only two things that people go do when they leave the military that's it that's all you go do or you you know start your own business fixing people's uniforms for them because they're too lazy to do it Right? there's like three things you can go do when when you get out mm-hmm. um but but to have those other um People that oh no, just think of it this way. Here's other things you can do. Be like people caring about you in the military. Like to have somebody where it's no, like let's sit down and talk, is amazing. And I just encourage people to to open your aperture and look at other things that are out there. Be be amendable to being shaped right you've done that in the military they break you down they build you back up we can do that you know you've already been broken down physically mentally and spiritually and everything else in the military let's build you back up um so you can do this healthy and and really take what you've been been given and continue just to to be happy and to exist
2: and survive and experience i love it guys thank you both so much um i've really appreciated this and uh it's just been a pleasure it really has and Truly, thank you for your service, both of you. Yeah, thank
3: you. Thank you for this opportunity. And Dan, like, really, really excited to meet you and, yeah. and, and chat more. Yeah,
1: I appreciate all you guys setting this up. Bob, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for everything. And uh, yeah, just thanks for giving me the opportunity. And, and the thing is, you know, if, if my story helps one person, right? I'm, I'm sure Bob feels the same way. If it helps one person, it's worth it. Um, find your tribe. That's that's it. Just find people that, that care about you and love you and uh, support you. That's all you need to do.
2: We've posted links to the Veterans Imagination Project in our show notes. Do you have a strange new world that needs confronting? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek Chan. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. This show was produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis and Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Courtney Martin is my co host. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.